Dear friends in Jesus Christ, as we continue going through the Advent Christmas booklet, we are focusing now on great Old Testament passages that pointed to the coming Messiah. Think about it like this. God made the initial promise, and then God gave reminders over and over again about his initial promise, reminding the people that though they are in their sins and though they are in grave trouble, the promised Messiah is coming. God had not forgotten. Thank you for joining me on this journey through the booklet as we better understand the Christ, our great Savior. Coming to day seven in the booklet, on this day, we're taking a look at a virgin becoming pregnant. Sounds so crazy, doesn't it? A virgin becoming pregnant, and then the baby that the virgin would have would be actually God with us. These are incredible things. First of all, coming to our passage, we're in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, very famous passage. The Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Getting back to that text there, it's a little bit of a complicated text in Isaiah chapter 7, but get, let me give you just a little bit of additional information. So the nation of Judah was very sharply being threatened by its enemies, and the king was so afraid, the Bible says that he was shaking like a leaf. He was so afraid because two nations had gotten together and they were going to attack him. Right at that time, the Lord made two promises. The first promise he made was fulfilled around 700 BC, and that promise was dealing with the overcoming of the physical enemies of the southern kingdom of Judah. However, though, the second promise, that was fulfilled about 700 years later at the time of Jesus, and that promise overcame our great spiritual enemies. Can you see how it's laid out? First promise, overcoming the great physical enemies. Second promise, overcoming the great spiritual enemies. Going on to our second passage here, an angel of the Lord spoke these words to Joseph regarding Mary, his fiancée. The angel said to him, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we heard the prophecy, and then I read the fulfillment. Let's think about this a little bit. Thinking about the promise made through Isaiah, if we think about a virgin becoming pregnant, we know that is impossible. Now, of course, there are certain techniques that can be used medically today that that can happen. But back at that time, though, it was completely, completely impossible. Yet it happened just as the angel had said. God can do anything. Let's always know that God can do anything. And God's promises will always, always come to fulfillment. 
No matter how great, no matter how impossible the promise seems, let us know it will always come to fulfillment. What are two great reasons why we should believe every promise of God in the Bible? I'm not sure what you put down there, but here are my two reasons. Number one, God is almighty in power, so he always can do whatever he has promised. And then number two, God is holy, so that means that he must do whatever he has promised. Does that make sense? Almighty, so he can. Holy, so he must. And then I ask the question, what does the fulfillment of the promise tell us about Jesus? Well, with him being the Son of God, from God the Father, and the Son of Man, from Mary, what does that make him? That makes Jesus the most important and the most unique person of all time. Let's not miss that fact. And then trying to make application here, how does the content on this particular day of the booklet, how does that apply to you? How does it apply to me? Well, here's my answer. When I step back and think about what's going on here on this particular day, I can see a little bit of God's grand plan in order to save us. So we can jump back to the time of Eden when God made the promise. We can go ahead to the time of Abram, thinking about the important things the Lord said to Abram. We can think about the Savior being a prophet like Moses. And then we jump ahead to King David and realize that Jesus is the most important of all of the descendants of David. And then thinking about how he was promised that he would come into the world through a virgin, and then eventually he was actually born of a virgin. Jesus is certainly God with us. That was my conclusion. He is the one sent from God for what great purpose? To take away our sins. When we understand that our sin is the biggest problem, then we're going to hunger for the truth of God's word, wanting to hear it, wanting to know it better, wanting to rejoice in it. Going on to day number eight in the booklet, great light to those in darkness. First of all, going to the text here, we're in Isaiah chapter nine now, verses two and three. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So in Matthew chapter 4, it identifies the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali as places where people were sitting in darkness. What does that mean? People living in that area were blinded to the truth of salvation. If you take a look at the map there, if you see the purple area, that would be Zebulun. You can see the orange color area, that's Naphtali, and then Right there, over to the right side of the image, you can see the Sea of Galilee. So Capernaum 
is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Nazareth is also in that area. But when Jesus began his ministry, he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, right in that area where people were living in this great spiritual darkness. He did so many miracles in Capernaum, right there where people did not know the truth. So what can we say then? Jesus, he is the great light who came to the people who were in great darkness. So try to imagine being in great physical darkness. You have no match, you have no candle, no flashlight, no electricity, no nothing. You can't even see your hand right in front of your face. It is so dark. Well, that's one kind of darkness. But what darkness is even greater? The greater darkness is spiritual darkness. When people are in spiritual darkness, we could say that they are crushed by their sin, they are overwhelmed with their guilt, and they have no hope of forgiveness and peace. They are in a position of total despair. Many in the world are that way today, but they don't know what the answer is. What has God done for you and me we were in such a situation at one time, but then, by the grace of God, what has happened, God has shown great light upon us. That light is the truth of his word. That light is our Lord Jesus Christ, and God freely gave us the precious gifts of full forgiveness and peace. In other words, now we are in relationship with the Almighty God because Jesus, his son, has taken away our sins. So in this, in this part of the booklet, I'm asking the question, how would you express your gladness? I want you to see the great contrast. So we were all in this horrible spiritual darkness, and there was nothing we could do to get out of it, but then God stepped in, and he brought the truth of his word, and he brought the light of his son, and he changed everything for us for now and for eternity. How would you express your thanks for something like that? Well, I put here in the sermon, it is proper for us to trust in Jesus as our Savior. It is proper for us to obey him as our Lord. And it is proper for us to live unto God's glory. Those are very basic things, very important things. I hope all of us are convinced, yes, I want to do all that. I want to do it the best I can. I want to do even more than that because I was in total despair and now I have the gift of eternal life. I hope you can see that great difference. So what kind of application can we make here? Well, you can make your own, but when I think about myself though, many years ago, I was in great darkness, but here's the thing though, You've heard me say it before, but it's such a key factor. When I was in great spiritual darkness, I didn't even know it. Isn't that such an odd thing? I thought I was okay with God right in the midst of the spiritual darkness. That's where I was, and I didn't even know it. And on top of that, 
I was coming to church every week. I even went to Bible class. And yet, I was in great spiritual darkness and didn't even know it. Could that be true for some of you here today? Could that be true for other people who are gathering with us here at Bethlehem week after week? Oh yes, we're glad to see them. They're going through the right motions, but are they truly in God's light? Do they really know Jesus as Savior and Lord? I so much want that for them, and God wants that for them even more. If there's some way I can help any of you to be sure, let's talk about that. But I'm so thankful, though, when I think about where I was, and I wasn't even searching for anything, and then God sought out me. I didn't seek out him. He sought out me, and he brought me to the truth, and he saved me from my sins, and he set me on a whole different course in my life. Well, let's go on to our final day today. We're on day number nine. He will be born for us. When we think about the ministry of Isaiah, now before I read this reading, we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter nine again, but before I read this reading, during the ministry of Isaiah, it was right during those years of his ministry that the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. Now keep in mind the Assyrians, they were the most powerful nation in the world, and the northern kingdom is living in such great disobedience to the Almighty God that finally God said, I'm done with you as a nation. I'm going to raise up the Assyrians. They're going to come and they're going to wipe you out. God not only permitted it, we could say God caused that because of their great disobedience. That's right during the time when Isaiah was functioning as a prophet. And then what about the southern kingdom of Judah? Well, Isaiah was primarily prophesying to the southern kingdom, but they were also faltering. They were also becoming more and more disobedient. You would think that when the northern kingdom fell, you would think that would be a time for the southern kingdom to say, what's going on here? Our great God has permitted them to be wiped out. Why did that happen? Oh, maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to be different. But they don't seem to have come to that conclusion. So they continued to ebb further and further into trouble until finally God wiped out the southern kingdom too. Very sad thing. We should be paying attention to what's going on in the world. When something happens to someone, we should look at it and say, oh, that could have happened to me, or that should have happened to me. And maybe God is saying to us, you better take action now, and you better repent now, and you better stop going in the direction you're going, or that thing that happened to that guy, that is gonna happen to you. God wants us to learn from what's going on in the world around us. So as the southern kingdom of Judah is faltering, Isaiah is bringing some good news, though, to the people because 
Even if the nation doesn't continue, he wants them to know that a great Savior is coming. And even if their nation does not exist any longer, God still cares about them and God is still planning to save them. What about us? Here we are in the United States of America. Is our nation faltering? By all means. Our nation is so corrupt right to the core that our nation could fall tomorrow. We might not see it coming, but it can happen though. Does that mean that we are lost forever? No, our nation can end, but through Jesus Christ, we have eternal blessings. Let's always keep that in mind. But we come now to the famous words that Isaiah wrote here in chapter nine, verse six. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It's kind of an unusual reading here, but when you think about it, when a child is born, a child is born to its parents. Just like my three children, they were born to me and to Kathy. They weren't born to somebody else. Your children, they were born to you. They weren't born to me. However, though, this child that Isaiah spoke of, this child born to other parents was born to us. He was born for our eternal benefit. Isn't that such a strange situation here? So the Son of God, he put on human flesh. He did so in the fullness of time for the eternal benefit of all people of all time. That's who he is. And then we come to the famous names here. We have four compound names that Isaiah gives us for the great Savior to come. That Savior is the one in whom we trust, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, names in the Bible tell us a lot about the person. So these four compound names are going to tell us a lot about our Lord Jesus Christ. So, wonderful counselor, well, I'm kind of curious as to what you put, but let me share what I put. You can see how it lines up. It doesn't mean whatever you put is wrong, but here are my thoughts on it. So wonderful counselor, that means that his advice is always best. What about mighty God? Well, he is almighty in power. So when we think about our Lord Jesus Christ, though Satan, the devil, is such a great, powerful, evil angel, but yet the very Son of God in flesh, he has almighty power and he did defeat the devil and the forces of evil. Let's know that in Christ, we are on the winning team. And then he is eternal father. That sounds odd, doesn't it? We would think of God the Father being the eternal Father. Why call him eternal Father? Well, think about it like this. He is like a father in that he provides for us and he protects us. Think about your own father growing up. He was there to provide for you. He was there to protect you. The Son of God is doing those things for us. If we think about him being our good shepherd, 
maybe we can understand a little bit better with providing and protecting, but that's what a father does as well. So eternal father. And then Prince of Peace, such a wonderful name. So think about it like this. He is the one who made peace between us and God the Father. And how did he do that? By taking away our sins. There are different things I say during our services where sometimes you'll see me making the sign of the cross. Do you ever catch that the vast majority of time when I make the sign of the cross, it's right when I say the word peace? Have you ever noticed that? What am I saying? There is peace between us and God only because of the work that Jesus did on the cross to take away our sins. So you might want to watch for that in the future. Thinking about some application here, how does today's content apply to you? Well, let me share what I have. I realize as time goes on, as I learn more about the Bible, I realize more and more that I would be without peace, I would be without hope, I would be facing physical death, and I would be facing eternal punishment without God's intervention in my life, without him opening my eyes to the truth, without him giving me the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. So when I think about all of that, I'm like so thankful for God's gift of salvation. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, by your spirit through your word, you have shown us the darkness and death of our sin. But then, amazingly, in your mercy, you have given us your son who entered this world through a virgin who has illuminated our darkness. And because we all have need for forgiveness in eternal life, you have provided it to us through him. Thank you so much, dear Father in heaven. We pray that you would keep us knowing Jesus, keep us rejoicing in Jesus, keep us living for Jesus, and keep us sharing Jesus with anyone who is willing to listen. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.